Dr. Tom Morris was a philosophy professor at Notre Dame. He still may be there, but this book that I read of his, it's called Making Sense of It All, and it's about the teaching of Blaise Pascal. But in the book, and it's a really great book, he talks about what's called the double power principle. The double power principle. And the double uh, power principle goes like this. The greater the power anything has for good, the greater the power it also correspondingly has for evil. Welcome to Reliable Truth with best-selling author Richard E. Simmons III. And now your host, Richard E. Simmons III. We're going to take a week off from speaking and talking about the book of Galatians. But I really believe what I'm going to share today is possibly the most important message I could share with a group of Christian men, particularly as on living the Christian life. And I want to start with a couple of verses, and then we're going to turn to Daniel. And that's really where I really would like for you probably to start heading towards. Um, it's right past uh, Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is right past Lamentations, and Lamentations is right past Jeremiah, which is right past Isaiah, so that could help you find it if you don't know where Daniel is. But I, I want to read a verse. I'm going to read it from two translations, and this has really got my attention. Um, it's Proverbs 16.5. I'm going to read it first from the NIV, and then I'm going to read it from the, uh, the New American Standard. The NIV says, the Lord detests, you got that? The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And the NAS says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now guys, that's pretty serious stuff. But think about that. Think about those words. God detests the proud of heart. <clears throat> the proud of heart is an abomination to him. And then you go to James 4, 6, and it says, God, gives, uh, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposed is the Greek word antitasko, which means to be at war with. Now, who in the world wants to be at war with God? And yet he says, I am at war with the proud of heart. And this is why C.S. Lewis, I think, says, pride is a spiritual cancer. It is the utmost evil. <clears throat> it leads to every other vice and sin. <clears throat> it is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, this came up the other morning, so I want to mention it just real briefly. There are two types of pride. One that you would call, I think, good. You know, to take pride in your work, which really means more, you know, striving for excellence, not wanting to... Um, uh, you know, be half-hearted in what you do. But when the, when the Bible talks about the proud, 
and talks about pride. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the second type of pride, which is arrogance. And if you remember, Lewis tells us why, one of the reasons why it is so deadly in our lives is because we can so easily see it in other people, we just can't see it in ourselves. Somebody asked me yesterday, Richard, how many people have ever come to your, your, any counseling for, to you? Or, you know, we've got several counselors here. How many have, have men have ever come and said, I'm really struggling with pride, can you help me? We've never had that happen. We have men come with all kinds of problems, but they never say, you know, I'm really struggling with pride. And yet it's the spiritual cancer. It's the most evil, according to C.S. Lewis. I really like the way that uh, Keller puts this. He says, listen to this. This is, a great, this is a great statement. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It, it, it silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing it. And yeah, I have to stop back, step back and ask myself, could, could this be true in my life? And so as we consider this this morning, uh, does this concern you in any way? Because it should. <laughs> I mean, if it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's the utmost evil, and yet we have a hard time seeing it in our own lives, should this concern us? I think the answer is yes. And this is why, guys, I'm a, there, there's several uh, really good applications that you can take home with you today. But this is why I think we should be praying every day, Lord, show me the pride in my life. Help me to see it. Help me to be aware of it. And it just seems to me that Jesus, we don't, I don't know this, but this is one of the things I think Jesus is probably referring to when he says, why is it that you notice the speck in your brother's eye, but don't see what? The log in your own. So another good prayer, Lord, show me the logs in my life. Help me to see what's true of my heart. There's a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Tom Morris. Uh, Dr. Morris was a philosophy professor at Notre Dame. He still may be there, but this book that I read of his, um, it's called Making Sense of It All, and it's about the teaching of Blaise Pascal. Um, I read it about 15 years ago, and so I don't know whether Dr. Morris is still teaching at, at Notre Dame. But in the book, and it's a really great book, he talks about what's called the double power principle. The double power principle. And the double uh, power principle goes like this. The greater the power anything has for good, the greater the power it also correspondingly has for evil. And he gives an example of nuclear power. He says, think about it, nuclear power can be used for such good if you're using it 
to produce electricity, which is, you know, heats and air, provides air conditioning for homes and businesses. So nuclear power can be really good, but then you, you can also take nuclear power and make it into an atomic weapon, and it can do all kind of damage. And this is kind of like pride and humility. Pride has great, basically has great power to produce evil. Correspondingly, humility has great power to bring forth good. I don't think we realize um, how much power there is in the humble life. And if you don't think humility is important to God, let me read to you a verse. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 4. Jesus says, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Talking about humbling ourselves like he has this little child there with him. He who humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Skip Herzog says, Humility is the least natural and the most important of all the virtues. Andrew Murray says, Humility is the root of all virtue. And I hope, guys, as we're going through this, that the significance of this really kind of enters our hearts and our minds that we realize this is a big deal. And so I think we need to recognize this. We are responsible for seeking a humble life. We are, we are responsible for cultivating a humble heart. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but now I want to stop and spend some time, and I want to compare, and we've talked about these issues in the past, but I'm going to go in a different direction and use some different scripture, and, and what I want to do this morning is I want to compare the life of two kings, and one you're going to see is incredibly arrogant, and the other you're going to see at this point in his life is incredibly humble. And we're going to start with the book of Daniel and look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I don't know how much you know about the book of Daniel. In fact, we're going to go to the fourth chapter. And um, Daniel is a young Jewish man, and he has been deported to Babylon, as the, as the Babylonians have taken siege of Jerusalem. And they took, basically what they did is they took some of the most talented, well-educated young men who served in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And as I said, Daniel was one of those young men. And what you find is that Daniel finds favor with the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Particularly, for, for, particularly because of one reason. You, know, you remember what that one reason is? What is it, Charlie? Dreams. He can interpret dreams. 
And one night, Nebuchadnezzar has this very troubling dream. And you can read it, you, don't, you can just kind of peruse it. It's in uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. And the dream is that he tells Daniel about this magnificent tree that he sees in his dream with beautiful foliage. And then all of a sudden, this angelic figure comes and chops down the tree and cuts off its branches. <clears throat> and in verse 24 and 25, Daniel explains to Nebuchadnezzar that he, Nebuchadnezzar, is that tree. Listen to what he says in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. And you'll be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize, some translations say, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and He bestows it on whomever He wishes. <clears throat> Does Nebuchadnezzar listen to him? No. He doesn't. Look at verse 28. And all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And guys, as I read verse 30, you're going to see a picture of the, what I would call the height of arrogance. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a picture of an arrogant man. And of course, then what happened? Well, God repeats the words of Daniel. God basically slams him. And he, go, he loses his mind. And he goes out and lives in the forest with the animals. <clears throat> and we're not going to spend any time on it, but there is a redemptive side to this. He finally lifts his eyes towards heaven and acknowledges God. He humbles himself. And he's restored to, to kingship. But most commentators really believe that he was up on his roof of his palace looking over this grand city. And he was gloating. He was pompously reflecting, thinking, and talking to himself. And I think this is what happens so often. You know, I, I, I really, and we all know and have seen, I think, people <clears throat> who are like Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they say it in front of people. Nebuchadnezzar was thinking this. He was reflecting. And if you go and read the Magnificat, listen to what Mary says. He said, talking about God has brought down rulers from their thrones. He, he has exalted, excuse me, wrong, wrong verse. This is Luke 151. He, God, has done mighty deeds with his arm. 
He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Proud in the thought. That's where, it's, that's where it resides. Now often it comes out in our words. And it can come out in many ways. But this is where pride resides. You know, C.S. Lewis says pride is concentration on the self, where everything is about you. And that's what you see there in Nebuchadnezzar's words. I don't know how many of you remember this. But a while back we read Deuteronomy 8.17. I don't know if you remember it. And in Deuteronomy 8.17, Moses gives us some great insight on arrogance. He says, you know, if you don't humble yourself before God, you will end up saying in your heart, notice that, you'll say it in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. This is pride. This is arrogance. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was saying to himself. Now I want to leave Nebuchadnezzar and ask you to turn backwards, go back towards Genesis to 1 Chronicles. You have 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. And we're going to Chronicles. 1 Chronicles. Chapter 29. And you need to know, guys, that um, that this in this chapter, 1 Chronicles 29, David dies. So David is at the end of his life. And you know, in David, we get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But David finishes strong. And in 1 Chronicles 29, verses uh, 1 through 9, you see all, it, it describes all of the power and the wealth of Israel. And so Israel was, was, was strong and wealthy, strong militarily, just as Babylon was in Nebuchadnezzar's time. But in verse 1 through 9, you see it kind of describes all the the wealth that they had. But then look at verse 10. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. 
Guys, <clears throat> humility is recognizing who deserves <clears throat> the credit and the glory for what we do, what we've accum accumulated, what we've accomplished. Because if you keep reading in verse 14, he says, For all things come from you. In John 3.27, we're told, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven above. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, Don't be deceived. I think it's interesting that he starts by using those words. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift in your life comes from above. And then maybe one of my favorites is when Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate's getting frustrated with him because he's not responding to any of his questions. And then remember what Pilate says? This is kind of my paraphrase. He says, hey man, don't you know who I am? Don't you realize I have the authority to set you free or to put you to death? <laughs> and I love Jesus' response. He said, <clears throat> Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it had not been given to you from above. And then maybe one of my favorite verses on this is 1 Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul says, For who regards you as superior over everyone else, when in fact everything you have you have received from God, and if you've received it from Him, why do you boast as if it didn't come from Him? As if it came from yourself? So this is crucial to get. Now I would just go, would go back to one verse that I read in 1 Chronicles, and then I'm going to stop and see if you have any comments or questions. But David is giving God all the credit for all that Israel has, for all that he has. He's given God all the credit. It comes from you. And so what does he do in verse 13? Now, our God, therefore, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. We give you thanks. Guys, this is the essence and the foundation of humility. And this is where great power inner power, inner strength lies. He gives His grace to the humble. He gives His power to the humble. Well, over the years, I've, I've, I've talked about the issue of thanksgiving, but I'm going to go in a different direction today. We're going to look at some different scripture. Um, but let me just say this. We have to intentionally cultivate a grateful heart. You know, it just doesn't come, it does, just, it doesn't come natural. Think about when you raised your children. Did you ever have to say to them, can you, can you say thank you? You see, it doesn't come natural. A kid won't ever start, won't ever thank you because it doesn't come natural to them. It has to be taught. You have to teach them to be thankful. And so... This is why the great Christian author Henry Nouwen said, listen to this, this is pretty interesting, and now I'm going to ask you a question. He says, gratitude has to be lived 
as a discipline. Think about that. Gratitude has to be lived as a discipline. What do you think that means? Absolutely. It's something you have to intentionally practice. It's kind of like <clears throat> when you say, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to get in shape physically. Okay, so what are you going to do about that? You've got to come up with a plan, and then you have to have the discipline to execute the plan. And so you have to, intention, you have to be intentional about it. And that's what now when it says we have to be intentionally focused on giving thanks to God. We have to basically, every day, plan on spending a few minutes giving thanks to God. That's why, personally, I start my day off usually reading Scripture and praying over the Scripture that I read. But the first thing that I do when I turn to prayer The first thing that I do when I turn to prayer is to spend five to seven minutes giving thanks to God. And guys, I, I don't think we realize how much we should be thankful for. In fact, in the, my little book here, the, the little book, <clears throat> Personal Prayer God, which we got plenty of them there. We got some up here if you want one. There's a section, I think it's the first section, that goes through all that we should truly give God thanks for, whether it's our health. Think about all, think about all the relationships you have. Um, I mean, think about your work, the resources that you've been blessed with. And then I spend probably mo more time than anything on the spiritual blessings of life, starting with Jesus. I mean, and you know what, guys, it doesn't ever get old. It really doesn't. It's, it's, it, 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 there's, a, there's a joy to it. But this is what I want to say. But it'll, it'll, it'll really change you <clears throat> if you'll practice, put this into practice every day. And what you'll end up doing is that you'll find that as you go through your days, you'll start recognizing the good hand of God in your life. And in the middle of the day, you'll stop and give Him thanks. I find myself giving thanks for things I never in my wildest dreams would think about thanking him for. And I won't go down that path because I, I could give you a lot of uh, for instances. But I want to I show you, we're going to look at some scripture in Colossians. So turn to the book of Colossians and then we're going to look at, a, I think, a very significant incident in Jesus' life. And hopefully we're going to see the incredible importance of being thankful. Now, and let me just say this while you're turning to Colossians. Think about this. If you are not regularly giving thanks to God, then you are ungrateful. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? If you're not giving thanks to God on a regular basis, then you are an ungrateful person as it comes to Him. You're taking Him and all that He's blessed you with, you're taking it for granted. 
And in a minute, you're going to see that this is serious stuff to take God for granted. And I'll be honest with you, he doesn't like it. But look at, look at Colossians 2. <clears throat> Go to verse 6. This is, by the way, these two, we're going to read verses 6 and 7. And this is a picture of the Christian life, of what should happen when you become a Christian all the way to the end of your life. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, the NIV says continue to live in Him. The NAS says walk with Him. In other words, he's talking about having a relationship with Him. You receive Him first. Then you walk with Him through life. You live with Him through life. <clears throat> and then you become, over time, rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. The NAS says you become established in your faith. Just as you were taught. But then look at what He says. What does He say? Your life should overflow with gratitude, with thanksgiving. He doesn't just say be thankful. What does he say? It should overflow with thanksgiving. And so at each stage of our lives and our spiritual development, our heart should overflow with gratitude. This, guys, is a big deal. It's a big deal in the sight of God. So it should be a big deal to us. Look at chapter, go to chapter 3 in Colossians. <clears throat> And go down to verse 15. Again, we're looking at the emphasis Paul places on thanksgiving. 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be what? Thankful. Let the word of Christ, I love this verse, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Give thanks to Him through God the Father. <clears throat> and then go down to verse, go down to chapter 4. Verse 2, the NIV says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. I love what the NAS says. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And so guys, I'm just going to say it again. Paul is telling us that this is important. It's a big deal. Our lives should overflow with gratitude. And when that happens, we're, not, we're no longer taking God for granted. We're telling Him how important He is and what He's done for us and how grateful we are for that. Well, there's a really interesting encounter that Jesus has in the book of Luke that is pertinent to all of this. <clears throat> and so turn to Luke 17. Luke 17, <clears throat> go down to verse 11. 
We're going to read down through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were all cleansed. They were all healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now guys, what are we to make of the other nine? We, we were talking about this yesterday at 11. <clears throat> um, think about it. They've been sick with this awful disease of leprosy. And so when you have leprosy, it's very contagious. And so you, you, lepers live together in colonies. And that's why you have, see 10 lepers who are together. They're all together. They stick together. And how, who knows how long it's been since they've seen their families. And all of a sudden they're healed. And so as someone said, I, they probably ran home to be with their families. And do you blame them? I mean, seriously? But the, but, but the truth of the matter is, if you think about it, they were physically healed, but all they, they probably could focus on was their deliverance from this awful disease. But they didn't give any thought to the one who actually delivered them. The only one that returned was this foreigner, this Samaritan, and the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. And he was just overwhelmed with gratitude. You see, he saw this more than just a physical healing. This was a supernatural event from the hand of God. It had a spiritual impact on his life, particularly his heart. Because what do you see in verse 16? It says, he fell at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. It's a, you see, he humbles himself. And so the other nine were off celebrating. And, if, and we understand this. But they really are just focused on themselves and their families, I'm sure. But never gave any thought to, to come back and give thanks to Jesus. I was talking to a guy about this last week. We were talking, we were talking about this particular um, this particular incident and this guy this guy that I was talking to has a huge company here in Birmingham it's huge you would know of it and I asked him just I said what, 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 would, what would you do if your company got the biggest job or the biggest order that they've ever gotten, something just so magnificent, 
and you get all this, you, you, and it's, it's in the newspapers, and uh, everybody knows about it. I said, what would be your initial reaction? Would you get on your knees and give God, and this guy's a Christian, would you get on your knees and give God thanks, or would you kind of gloat over this big deal? And he, he smiled and he said, there's no doubt we'd be gloating. There's no doubt. And the reason is, that just comes so natural to us. It really does. It's a natural tendency. But what strikes me, guys, and maybe is really at the heart of this lesson today, is this guy's giving Christ the praise and the thanksgiving that he gave was clearly pleasing to God or clearly pleasing to Jesus. And there's a, there's a really interesting little verse in Psalm 92, verse 1, that says it all. It is good to give thanks to God. It is good to give thanks to God. It's well-pleasing to him. And you know what else? It also impacts us. It pleases him, but it impacts us spiritually. I think that's what you see in, the, in, the, in this one man's life here, in this incident. His heart was clearly impacted. But what happens if we're Christians and we're not very grateful. We don't express our gratitude to God. As I said earlier, then by default, we're ungrateful and take God for granted. And he doesn't like that. The great theologian Warren Wiersbe contends that an ungrateful heart is fertile soil for all types of evil. Wow. In fact, I would say a lack of gratitude or to be ungrateful or to take God for granted puts us at great peril spiritually. You see, about 15 years ago, I went looking in my concordance. Now, concordance is where you, you can look up a word and it'll tell you every verse in the Bible where that word is used. Pretty cool. But I looked up um, all the verses in the Bible where the word ungrateful is used or ingratitude is used or lacking thankfulness is used. And guys, I have to tell you, I was floored at what I found. I was absolutely floored. Now, Tim Keller has said this. He says, most people think of being somebody that's ungrateful. It's not that big a deal. It's just kind of having bad manners. You know, if, if somebody has you over for dinner and you leave and you don't thank them, it's just kind of bad manners. But that's not the case when it comes to being ungrateful to God. It puts us in great peril spiritually. 
and it's an evil in the sight of God. Let me show you. Let's look at a couple of verses, and then we'll wrap this up. Turn back to Luke 6, if you would. Now, this is an interesting verse, um, and because it's talking about forgiving your enemies. All right, go to Luke 6, <clears throat> verse 35. Uh, And we're not going to focus on forgiving your enemies, uh, even though that's important. But it's, it's kind of an unusual verse, I have to tell you. All right? And I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. It says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. And this is what I want to focus on. For He, God Himself, is kind or you really could even put in the word, he is even kind to who? Ungrateful and evil men. Then he says ungrateful and wicked men. Now, it's a little unusual, but Christ is talking about what's called common grace. I don't know if you know that term, common grace. And um, just to explain it, I think we would all agree that if you look around our world, there are a lot of evil people. I mean, vicious people. And you could say, well, you know, you think, why doesn't God just wipe them out? He doesn't. He lets them live. You know, it talks about the rain. God lets the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so he's talking about common grace, but he says, God, he's even kind. You could even say, God lets these people live. But isn't it interesting the two words he uses? Ungrateful and evil men. You could understand it more if you said wicked and evil men, but he says ungrateful and evil men. It has to get your attention. Now the biggie, the verse that I think reveals this so clearly, is in Romans 1. So if you would turn to Romans 1. And if you go down, you'll see starting in verse 18, most Bibles have a uh, kind of a, a statement of, of, of under, what's, what's coming, um, kind of a header. Uh, the New American is unbelief in its consequences. The NIV is God's wrath against mankind. Um, and in, in verse 20, look at verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, that God has revealed Himself very clearly. It's called general revelation. And people without excuse in not, saying, in not believing Him. But this is what happens. Verse, 9, verse 21. For even though they knew God, or do you hear that? Even though they knew God, what, what happened? They didn't honor Him as God or give Him thanks. And by not giving him thanks, what happened? They became futile in their speculations. And that means their thinking. 
They became futile in their thinking. And then listen to this. And their foolish heart was darkened. Why? Because they did not honor God or give Him thanks. Now, let's look at one more. We're about out of time here. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy. And this is, this is kind of interesting. <clears throat> Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and listen to the, look at the first verse. This is pretty interesting. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And I says that there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, when you, when you see that word last days, I think it's kind of natural for us to think of the last days as kind of the end times, right? Kind of when the tribulation's coming. Jesus is about to return. But that's not what it means. The last days is the period of time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. So when are the last days? We're living in them. And it makes sense that he uses the word days because what, is, what does he say in Peter? First, I think it's First Peter. To God, one day is like what? A thousand years. So it's not surprising he uses the term days. But then he starts describing all of this, really the depravity of man that will exist in the last days. And you can see them in verses 2 through 5. I mean, he says, they'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be arrogant. And then it says, they'll be, in verse 2, ungrateful and unholy and unloving. And there, so there you see it again ungrateful is paired with all these other evils. Again, I think Keller's right. Too many people think it means just bad manners. It's serious in the sight of God to be ungrateful to Him and to take Him for granted, particularly as a Christian. So hopefully, guys, hopefully we see how serious this is and how essential it is to have a grateful heart. And that's why I'm, with, I'm, I'm, I'm right on with Henry Nowen. It needs to be a discipline in your life that you set aside time to give thanks to God. Not only does it please Him, guys, it impacts us. And so, in closing... I want to read you some interesting words from Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart. And he quotes this famous minister by the name of William Law. Now, you may not be familiar with William Law because he preached back in the 1700s. And he talks kind of with that same language that you would find in the King James Bible. But listen to what he says. It's really interesting. 
He said, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? Remembering a saint is a Christian. They're referred often in the Bible as saints. He says, who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays the most or fasts the most. It is not he who gives the most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice. But it is he who is always, and I underscore that word always, it is he who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, but who recognizes everything as an instant instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it and give Him thanks. So guys, my challenge to you today is every day let your life overflow with thanksgiving, as Paul says. Because if you do, I promise you, it will change you. It will change the way you see your life as you live it each day. And I believe it's the key to transformation into humility. Being a humble man and living a humble life. And remember what Jesus says about the humble, they are the greatest in the kingdom of God. You've been listening to the Reliable Truth Podcast with Richard E. Simmons III, Founding Director of the Center for Executive Leadership in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources, please visit our website at www.richardesimmons3.com or by email to richard at richardesimmons3.com.